John chapter 16, uh, we're talking about the helper, that is the Holy Spirit. We just kicked off the series last week, um, the role of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, um, and why I think it is a relevant topic today, something that we need to visit and know and understand and, and just focus on. Um, our country needs the influence of the Holy Spirit um, in the life of the believers. And so what I did share last week as we kicked this off was what this series is not about it's not about the emotional, sensational, the real exciting stuff. I grew up in the very charismatic side of the, the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets excited about that. Uh, but the other end of that spectrum is a serious neglect of the Holy Spirit. And as I said a moment ago, I think there's a great need today for the influence, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart, church, right? We need the Holy Spirit's influence in our world today. And so John chapter 16, this is the upper room discourse. Jesus is with his disciples. He's been with them for three and a half years. He's about to leave them. In fact, he's told them many times already that he's going to leave them. Um, and it's in this context here that he begins to talk again about the Holy Spirit. He did it in chapter 14. Here it is in 15 again. And I'd like to just read this real quick, pray. And I just want us to consider something that should build with in us uh, a little excitement and encouragement, but then I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in the world today. We're familiar with the work that he does in us, but how does he work in the world also? Um, so chapter 16, verse 5, read with me please. It says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this moment, this opportunity to gather together in this place of worship and to sing songs of praise, to open your word, and to hear from your word. And so I, I want to ask two things today, Father. I ask, first off, that you would give us receptive ears to hear, eyes to see what you might want to show us today. And Father, I selfishly ask that you would use me. I humble myself before you, and I ask that you would give me the words, uh, give me the cognitive ability to be able to share what it is that you want me to share. Lord, at the end of the day, we don't want to glorify Shane. We don't want to glorify living water, but we want to glorify you because you're what matters. And so, Father, we ask that you would be honored in our time today and glorified, and we ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week when we kicked this off, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, that he is a part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Scripture refers to him as, a, as kind of has these qualities of a person. He is the he of the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. He can be obeyed. He can be disobeyed. He has a mind, will, emotions, and all of that. And so we also talked about what he does in the life of the believer. And it should get us kind of excited when we think about the Holy Spirit's role inside our lives today. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about 
Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians, he mentions it in 2 as well, where he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, And I say that all the time, but I want to say it with some inflection, as though Paul might be saying it to us today. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's almost if he were here today, he's like, do you not realize how cool that is? As I said two weeks ago, wouldn't it be cool one day we get to heaven and we go to Moses? What was it like to speak to a burning bush or to part the Red Sea or to to Peter? What was it like to walk on the water or David to, to slay the giant? And they might potentially turn around to you and me and say, tell me, what was it like to have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God living inside your life? It should be like, ooh, let me tell you. I got stories to tell you, King David. I got stories for you, Moses. Let me tell you what it was like to have God tabernacling in me and working through me. It should make a huge difference, shouldn't it? Sadly, for many Christians today, I think we can say, meh, it was all right. We have the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us when we place our faith in him. And so I just want us to consider this for a moment before we get into his work today in the world. I'm grateful for his work in our lives um, first off. And so Jesus is in the upper room. He's been telling the disciples for a while that he's going to be leaving. And this is not good news for them. Uh, They're thinking only physically, right? They believe he's the Messiah. Um, There is this threat of Roman occupation. They need a deliverer. The next thing that they expect is somebody to set up their kingdom. That's Jesus, right? But then Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to be setting up that kingdom now. I'm going to be leaving you. And that was very troubling to them. And says their hearts were filled with grief, like overflowing with grief. They got stuck there. When Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you, they were stuck in grief. Why? Because Jesus for them, was like a best friend. Have you ever had a best friend that moved away? I thought a couple of them this morning as I was preparing. One of them moved to California way back in the day. He was a really good friend of mine growing up. And another one was my best friend for years, moved to Alabama. I remember what it was like to say, man, my best friend's leaving. And there was a little bit of a, a pain associated with that, although we know we could pick a phone up or get on Facebook nowadays. Back in the day, it was MySpace. And, you know, we could still connect, but there's just something about losing a best friend. And so for the disciples, this was a huge deal. Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you. And they're like, Whoa, hold up, what? Where, where are you going? What are you doing? Um, and so they knew that Jesus was leaving, and it, and it got them stuck. But Jesus goes on to say, it's actually better for you. It's to your advantage, talking to the disciples, it's better for you that I do go away. Well, how can that be better than having Jesus, God in the flesh, with us tangibly, every day, watching his miracles, listening to his teachings? What could be better than that? He says, oh, just wait and see. Because it's going to be epic, right? It's better for you that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Here's what I want us to consider. Consider the presence of God. In the Old Testament times, the Bible says that God is spirit. Moses asked God, let me see your face, God. I want to see your face. And God says, no man can look on my face and live. It was dangerous to see the face of God. And so what God would do is in order to relate to his creation, he would show himself, he would reveal himself. He was present with them, but he couldn't do it directly. And so there's this theological word called theophanies. And theophanies is simply just a personal encounter with deity. Um, And so so what these look like is sometimes they're non-human form. For Moses, it was the bush. He's walking in the wilderness, and God pops up in a bush that's burning up, but it doesn't burn up. And he says, I'm God, and this is what I want you to do. He's like, wow, that's cool. Take off your sandals, Moses, because where you're standing is holy ground. How many know that was a pretty cool moment of being in the presence of God? 
through the burning bush. Um, we hear about it in the cloud, the cloud um, by, by day, or yeah, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. Um, it said that he shows up in a whisper, um, that he reveals himself to his humanity in the dreams. And so that's the, the non-human form, the way God was with his people. He encountered them. And then he also appears as a man. So Jacob wrestled with a man all night. He wrestled all night long, struggling with him. And later he says, I've wrestled with the Lord and won. And so one time he revealed himself in a personal encounter with Jacob. And then the most common, um, I guess, encounter throughout the Old Testament that we read about is an angel of the Lord. So in the form of an angel, God would just pop in from time to time and talk to his people. Now, some of the angel of the Lord references are Christophanies, which is a picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament. But the majority of them, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's like God came down in the form of an angel and he was in the presence of his people. How many know that would be cool? Hey, Old Testament people, what was it like when God just popped up in a burning bush? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Oh, my favorite one is when he made Balaam's donkey talk, right? Balaam's donkey turns around talking, and, and I, I think Balaam's first words, it's not recorded in the Scripture, but I think his first words were like, dude, you can talk. That's cool. But, I mean, what was it like to encounter God through these theophanies? What was it like to have an angel of the Lord? That would have been so, so cool if you were there and if you were a recipient of that encounter with God. That's the Old Testament. And so it was limited. It was not regular, and so it happened only to a few people. And so then we fast forward, and, and we read in John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about Jesus now. And the Scriptures tells us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, how cool is that? So now the one that created it all is with them in the flesh, and he's doing things that only God can do. He's saying things that only belong to, to God, and the disciples are firsthand witnesses to all of this. That's pretty cool. So you stand in front of the disciples and go, what was that like? To see Jesus take this dude's Happy Meal and feed 5,000 people with it. That would have been pretty cool, right? What was that like? And so he was in their presence. And so I don't want to minimize the pain and maybe the fear that they had and the, the grief that they had when he said, I'm going to leave you. They didn't want that. That was their best friend, Jesus Right? They spent three and a half years of their life together, and Jesus is all of a sudden saying, hey, I, I'm going to leave you. So throughout the Old Testament, in the life of Christ, there was this longing to just be in the presence of the Lord. In fact, I skipped this, but in the Old Testament, there's a couple of Psalms. Psalm 84 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So you see this longing for the presence of God throughout the Old Testament. We see this limited experience for 12 men in the New Testament with a life of Christ. He was their best friend they're filled with sorrow, but then Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, it's actually good that I'm leaving. 
not for us, Jesus. We want you to stay here. Everything's great with you here. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to be leaving. And to make things worse, I mean, you're going to experience some hardships if you read the first part of chapter 16. Um, and, and I want to want you to go be my witnesses, as he's already told them. You're going to testify about me. You're going to encounter troubles. And by the way, I'm out. They're going, time out, hold up. That scares us. Because you're asking us to do something that's like way what well, seems impossible, and now you're not even going to be here with us. And Jesus says, it's actually better for you, or it's to your advantage that I go away. Because I want to send another advocate, a helper, Paracletos, with you. He won't come unless I go. And so we know that from the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, things change. And no longer is, you know, these appearances or these, uh, this presence of God limited to certain people at different times. Uh, no more, more is it limited to just the personal presence of Jesus who was limited to time and space. Not that he, I mean, he had all of his deity when he was on the earth, but he purposefully limited himself. He couldn't be everywhere all the time, right? And, and so now even greater than that, Jesus says, it's greater that I go away because what's going to be coming after this, you don't understand yet, but it's going to be so much greater. It's, it's to your advantage that I go away. And so we know that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit no longer is ever once in a while around us or in the personification of a, of a person that's just temporarily with us. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit now packs the bags, moves into your house, which is your body, your temple, and he takes up permanent residence in you. Now, I see some of you smiling because I think you get it. And I see some of you who need more coffee. And I see some of you are like going, I don't get it. But what I'm stating is this, do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? That should have a great impact in our lives today. Amen? Amen. I mean, so that's us, right? I mean, we love that. We value, we cherish this idea that God who created it all is in us. And whenever we encounter hardships in life, I know that he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. We know that there's things that we encounter that are bigger than us, and we're reminded greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's just something powerful about the presence of God in the life of the believer. I am so grateful for the abiding, forever presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. But I want you to consider something else. Before he was in our lives, he still has a role. He still has a work. I'm thankful for the work he's doing in us, but he's still at work outside of us. What I mean by that is to the world. Now, we live in a world that is jacked up. Everyone would agree, right? And the Holy Spirit still has a role in that form. And while some of these you could take and apply to us as believers, Jesus' intention was not for that, um, but it was for just revealing what the role of the Spirit is going to play in the World. And so look with me again in verse 8. So it's better for you that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But when he comes, here's what he's going to do. He will convict the world. All right, the word convict is elenko, and it means to expose. It means to bring to light. It means to point out, like if you're pointing out an offense at someone, or it means to convince them. So the Holy Spirit's role, when he comes, is going to be one of conviction. He's going to prove, he's going to make the case against the world. What is he going to convict them about? It says he's going to convict the world of its sin. 
Now, it's not plural, sins, but it's singular sin. Now, we can make the case that he convicts the Christian of the sins that we commit, and I do believe that's true, um, and I'm grateful for that. In fact, I've always thought that was a litmus test for me. Am I really in the faith? You know how I know? There's a conviction in me that wasn't there before. There are things that I used to do that didn't bother me, and now when I do those, there's something in me that says, hey, Shane, you know that's not right. And I'm so grateful for that, amen? So he convicts the believer, but as I said, the purpose here that Jesus is pointing out, he's like, he's going to expose or he's going to bring to light, he's going to point out the offense of the world and its sin. So what is the world's sin? Well, thankfully, we don't have to figure that one out because Jesus lays it out in verse verse 9. He says, the world's sin is, listen to this, that it refuses to believe in me. Scripture tells us that Jesus came to his own And his own did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. But he came to his own, and they rejected him. They never accepted Jesus as who he said that he was. As Messiah, they rejected him. And the absolute pinnacle of that rejection was their crucifixion of Jesus. And their reasoning was, was like, I crucified him. So here's the deal about sin. You can talk to people, and most of the time, we we don't want to readily admit that we're sinners. Right? We might say we struggle with certain things. I got these hang-ups. I got these, you know, like habits that are not too healthy and bad. But to say, hey, um, you're a sinner, we just don't, we not readily admit that. Like, yeah, I'm a sinner. And so there's a, a role of the Holy Spirit to bring to light, to make the case to the world that the greatest sin anyone can ever commit is the sin of unbelief. The sin of rejecting Jesus as Messiah. What is the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, right? And so there are people who to this day, it's like, I don't believe it. Do you know that that is the absolute worst sin with eternal ramifications? And so the Holy Spirit goes to work convicting, convincing them of that sin of rebellion against God and this rebellion reached its climax when they crucified Jesus and so today the greatest sin in our world is a failure to believe in Jesus in fact some think it's a badge of honor to not believe in Jesus you know Christianity is for the weak I'm more enlightened I've got more education and so I don't need that stuff I don't believe and it is the absolute greatest sin that anyone could ever have. And it's not my words. Uh, Jesus himself, when he's talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he says it this way. He says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged For not believing in God's one and only Son. He'll go on and on in different places to say their sin was they didn't believe in me. And so the Holy Spirit's role to the world outside. And I'm so grateful because you and I wouldn't be in the body of Christ without his work ahead of time. Some call that prevenient grace. And what that means is before I was looking for God, God was pursuing me. That's cool. To know that God's love is so big for us that he's, he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And his role is to convince and convict people of the greatest sin. And that is a sin of not believing me. He's wooing us, bringing us to a point of salvation, of realizing our need for salvation. Okay, So he convicts the world of its sin. And so the idea is this conviction, or as he builds the case, it's going to bring guilt. 
And so as the world hears who Jesus is and what Jesus did on their behalf, there's something in that that just begins to work. Man can't create this, but the Holy Spirit is bringing this, this guilt to the surface. And we're like, uh-oh, there's a problem. So Jesus goes on. He says, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. In verse 10, he says, righteousness. I love the way the New Living Translation puts this, by the way, because he kind of fills in some lines. Because Other translations will say, because I go to the Father, but he says in the New Living Translation, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And so what he's saying is like the Holy Spirit's going to convict them of a, a way of righteousness that is not man's doing, but only righteousness that's going to put people in the presence of God. Right? So to go back to time of Jesus, um, when they crucified Jesus, the Jews were showing that they thought he was unrighteous. Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And so Jesus obviously was unrighteous because he was crucified. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it was in the resurrection of Jesus that he was vindicated as God's righteous servant. And not only that, he provides for us the only way to be made right with God through his death, his burial, and resurrection. Amen? And so the Bible says that There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And it says our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. And so I think we have this idea that when we stand before God one day, and one day we will stand before God, all of humanity, and our hope is that, you know, my good will outweigh my bad. I've actually talked to people that way. They said, you know, I'm just hoping at the end of the day when all that stuff goes under the big celestial balance in the sky that my good outweighs my bad. It's a good thought, but it's not... Not correct. It's actually dangerous. Because if that's where your hope's at, can I just tell you that on our best day, every day, all day, for the rest of our life, our righteousness does not exceed the demand of God's righteousness. And the only person that ever did it was Jesus. And because of what he did, he made righteousness with God attainable for you and me simply by appropriating what he did on our behalf. That's deep. And that's cool. Amen? So the Holy Spirit's role to the world is like, hey, I want to convince them of their lack of belief in the Messiah. Because I want them to believe in Jesus. I want them to understand that righteousness cannot be attained by any other form, way, or function. But the only way to be made right with God is through what Jesus did on the cross. So the Spirit convicts men of their faulty view of Jesus, especially when we're talking about the gospel, with a stress on the resurrection when that is proclaimed. The Holy Spirit is there to go, hey, you know this is true, and this is the only way you're ever going to be made right with God. Don't gamble on eternity by, by, by hoping in good works. Uh, don't gamble on eternity by religion or because your family was a religious family, but the only way to be made right with God is through the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit's there to convict, to convince, to bring to the light these truths. And lastly, Jesus says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin, God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Verse 11, he kind of explains it. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Who's the ruler of the world, according to Scripture? Satan. The ruler of this world has already been judged. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus were a condemnation to Satan, who is the ruler of the world. So in death, he defeated the devil who had the power of death. But we know that though death um, was defeated at the cross, Satan still has a long leash and he's still very active in this world today, isn't he? 
it is good for us as followers of Christ to remember this very important truth because he's very good at condemning, right? Not conviction, but condemning and pointing out all of our faults and failures. He's always pointing to our past. Look what you did. Look what you did. And it's so comforting to me to know that he has already been dealt with by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? He's just waiting on the sentencing and the, and the, the judgment to begin, but he's already been defeated. And so for us, when we hear those condemning thoughts, when he reminds us of our past, we are able to, because of Christ, remind him of his future, and it don't look too good for him. Amen? Devil, let me tell you what you got coming. Jesus doesn't beat you. I don't have to. You've been conquered because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so people in rebellion should take note of Satan's defeat, and they should fear the Lord um, who has the power to judge. He's the only one that's righteous to bring judgment. So as the fact of coming judgment is proclaimed, the Spirit then convicts people and prepares them for salvation. So Scripture says no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? The Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of a coming judgment. And so those things together, and if you've ever been in that moment, and most of you might remember back to the time when you placed your faith in the gospel. For me, it was in a church, heard the gospel many times, but this one time, the Holy Spirit was doing his stuff, right, on the inside. And I'm standing, and they say, stand for the invitation, and they're giving the invitation for you to respond to the gospel, and I'm holding with all my might to the pew in front of me. Anybody else ever done that? I ain't moving, man. And that was just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He was working on me. I'm so grateful for that, right? Because before I was pursuing God, God was at work preparing me through the Holy Spirit, through bringing us to salvation. And so it prepares us for salvation. And the only response is, God, I recognize that I'm unworthy. I recognize that there's nothing that I can do in a million years to be good enough to get into heaven. But I also recognize that's what the gospel, that's the good news, that your son did it for me. And that I can rely on his righteousness to stand before you sinless. Amen? The Bible says you've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. God, I, I believe that. And I want to put my faith and my hope and my trust in you and you alone. And it's beautiful when people come to the knowledge of salvation and they trust and they take that step. So that's what conviction looked like for me. And so I'm so thankful that God was looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. And I'm so thankful that he's still in the business of doing that. And so for those of you who might see somebody in your family or in the community or your work, and you're like, they're a lost cause. No, they're not. No, they're not. As long as there's breath in their lungs, there's time on this little thing we call the clock of earth, there's time for the Holy Spirit to work. And so our role should be, Holy Spirit, would you please do what we obviously can't get done? We've been preaching to them for years. We've been screaming at them for years. We've been pounding them with truth for years. And they're just hard-headed. God is in the business of dealing with hard-headed people. Amen. amen. Your wives look at your husbands and say, amen. That's true, right? My wife's not in here, so thank the Lord for that. But God's able to do what we cannot do through his Holy Spirit. The problem sometimes we get out of step, I think, is <clears throat> my buddy's got a, a phrase that I use. It's kind of crude, but it's funny, and it's true. He's like, know your role, shut your hole, Right? It's like, you have a role to play, <clears throat> and you're not the Holy Spirit. Amen? I remember one time I was making a big step in ministry, and I was praying, I was fasting, I was seeking counsel, and I was really just seeking after God's will for this decision I was going to make. And I had a well-meaning Christian look me in the face and said, I just don't think you're listening to the Holy Spirit. And my response was very holy at the time. I was like, you're not my Holy Spirit. 
Like, who made you the Holy Spirit? You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't know what I've been through, what I've prayed through, what I've been fasting on, and all this stuff. And so the reality is sometimes as Christians, we can forget our role, and we don't shut our hole, and we make a mess of things. Amen? Sometimes we mean well, and so we open up, and we share whatever it is that we're going to share. We're going to give them a peace of mind, or we're going to line them out. And that conviction that the Holy Spirit would bring sounds more like condemnation from us. And can I just tell you, we're never, ever going to be successful in our own strength. And, so, and this is important because Jesus, as he was preparing the disciples, he said, listen, i got this task for you that is out of this world. It's too impossible for you to do on your own. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to testify about what you've seen. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do the same thing. But I'm going to, I want you to be my witnesses you're going to start in Jerusalem, and you're going to go out through the ends of the earth. That's a huge, enormous task, isn't it? He says, all right, that's what I want you to do, but wait. I want you to do this. You're going to be my witnesses, and now I'll send the Holy Spirit that my Father has promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, we know through history that it was about 40 days later or 50 days later, whatever it is, and the book of Acts is when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They were filled, and some crazy stuff happens, and they were empowered to do the task that he was called them to. So before that happens, Jesus said, Acts 1.8, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The idea is God's going to use people as the agent, but they're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit's presence. And he says, how, now go, but wait. I think there's some really good counsel in that for us as followers of Christ. I think sometimes we're ready to go. And we go with guns blazing, and we're not waiting on what the Holy Spirit might want us to do or how he might want us to approach. God uses people. In fact, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter, the agent, the person, preached the message of the gospel. But the Bible says the people were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So you see this partnership, if you will, where God uses man, humanity, to do some work. But the Holy Spirit partnering with them is the one that's doing the heart work that we could never accomplish on our own. In fact, I read a quote by D.M. Dawson that says this, and it's so truthful. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, all human efforts, methods, and plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our own breath. Imagine going to Lake Meredith with a boat and a sail. (sighs) That's what he says. Trying to do this in our own human effort is like (sighs) puffing at the sails. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? In this world, this world needs the influence of the Holy Spirit. This world needs believers who understand the role of the Holy Spirit and understands that they have been equipped and they have been filled until the day of redemption and they have a purpose to partner with the Holy Spirit to turn this world upside down. Amen? And so what does this look like for us? I am grateful that God loves us enough that he doesn't leave us alone. It was better that Jesus went away because now... No longer we have these tele, te, uh, tele, telephonies or whatever I said a while ago. No longer we have Jesus, just a few guys that got to experience him. But we, even today, having placed our faith in the gospel, have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that is extremely powerful. So I would say this, my, my counsel for us as followers of Christ, you may be here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ, and maybe you've heard the gospel. Maybe today you heard something that just kind of, moved something inside of you. Not something that Shane can do, but the Holy Spirit's going, hey, listen to that. That's truth. 
Uh, I need you to respond to that truth. And if he's doing that, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and your response is to respond to the Holy Spirit, right? And so for me, it's just to be the agent to speak the truth uh, of the Word of God. For all of us as followers of Christ, every time an opportunity pops up, and it may be in confrontation, it may be in witnessing, it may be whatever it may look like, we have a role to play. And I would simply say this, before we react, let us be thoughtful and just pause for a moment and say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to handle this? Holy Spirit, how should I respond to this atrocity? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to handle this debate? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to approach this friend that is already skittish about church and is already rejected so many times? How do you want me to be a part of what you're doing in their life? Holy Spirit, would you guide me? How many of you know that the world needs a whole lot more of that? There's a definition of insanity. If you keep doing the things that you've been doing the same way over and over, it's, it's insanity. And so I just want to compel each one of us to like realize, you know, maybe, maybe we're going about this wrong in some cases. It doesn't mean that we don't preach truth. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, make ourselves available. But I think sometimes, just like Jesus is warning to the disciples, hey, you're going to have this huge task ahead of you, but don't go until you're empowered from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, but how many of you know you can reject the counsel of the Holy Spirit? You can ignore his leading, even, even though he's in you, right? That's what the Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have a role to play, and it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, if you're the guy that's always going to lead me into truth, you're never going to leave me, then what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do whatever it is? And so I would say this. If you're here today, you've got a family member that's, you, you, you just know, they're not a believer. I know there's nothing in them that makes me think that they're a believer. I want you to know that there's still hope. And we should never give up on them because I don't believe God is. Because he says he's willing that none should perish but all come to repentance. And so if that's God's heart, should that not be our heart as well? Instead of immediately writing somebody off and making a judgment about them that we're not qualified to make. But instead, Holy Spirit, what are they missing? What, what are you trying to do in them? Would you bring your conviction? Only what you can do to produce the results that only you can bring. And our role is to just celebrate the more and more people respond to the gospel because you did it one time. Amen? And I'm so grateful that he loved us enough that he extended that good news to you and to me. Are you? Father, we thank you for the influence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for his presence. We thank you for his work. Lord, we get excited about the work he does in us. But Father, I'm thankful for the work that he does even in a world that rejects, hates, spurns, runs from Lord, is this old phrase, the hound of heaven, how we just get this picture of the Holy Spirit pursuing us with reckless abandon, like an old dog on a scent, and the Holy Spirit just chases us. And Father, I believe there is absolute power in prayer, and so God, I pray that we would be more uh, dialed in and more passionate about praying for those who are not in relationship with you, knowing, Father, they may look like a lost cause from our eyes, but Lord, they're not from yours. And God, to ask that your Holy Spirit would just begin a work of conviction. If there's someone here today, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that today they would respond to your call. Today they would respond to your wooing and drawing them. Lord, that they would respond to that conviction in their own lives. And Father, for the rest of us, that we wouldn't take for granted just how amazing having your presence in our lives is. And Lord, that we wouldn't just treat that as common, but it's very special. And one day when we stand around your throne, we're all sharing stories about how powerful it was to have the Holy Spirit living 
in us, his presence in us daily. So God, would you just work in our lives? Would you grow us on our faith? Would you cause us to just be mindful, uh, Lord, of, of what you're trying to teach us today and help us to respond in kind? I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.